Today on Blue 58, inside linebacker has not been a position of strength of the Packers in quite some time, but that all changed in 2021. Devondre Campbell doesn't tell the whole story, though. How did this group do as a whole? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Our position-by-position review turns back to defense today, and with that, we will take on inside linebackers. But we've got some other stuff to talk about. First, the Packers are in the midst of doing some work on their salary cap. We're getting some contract adjustments as the Packers figure out how to make some cap space so they can function, much less try to do stuff with guys like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Honestly, I thought we'd have more answers by now, but that's the way things go. Uh, Sometimes you get answers, sometimes you don't. And right now the answers are sort of coming out slowly. The Packers have so far redone two contracts, uh, doing some restructures for both Aaron Jones and Kenny Clark. Aaron Jones, first and foremost, uh, if you've not gotten the message, uh, 2022 is probably going to be it for him in Green Bay because his cap number as of this restructure for 2023 is now about $20 million. And that is just untenable for a running back. It would be untenable for most players at most positions. A cap hit of $20 million, you better be a play-in, play-out game-breaker. And Aaron Jones, for all of his many attributes, is not that at the running back position. And really, nobody is league-wide anymore. There really just hasn't been that kind of player in the NFL for a long, long time now. Broadly speaking... I think generally the worries over kicking the can down the road are not as big a deal as they are made out to be. But this is one where I think people concerned about stuff like that might have a little bit of a point. You know why the Packers have to do it. They're trying to make cap space just to function. But Aaron Jones' dead cap number for 2023 now is almost $10 million. So it's going to be $20 million to keep him on the books. $10 $10 million to have him not playing in Green Bay. I know the cap goes up, but still, there's a point when restructures might be going a bit too far. Is this that point? I don't know, but kind of feels like that's what it might look like at least. It's starting to get a little bit hairy out there. I know the cap's going to go up. It's expected to go up a lot, but $10 million for a guy to not play on your team, that's a tough one to swallow. As to Kenny Clark, here is a scary thought. Age is starting to be a factor in future moves on Kenny Clark. Packers have added some void years to his contract to spread out his hits over a couple additional years. But looking down the road a little bit, well, he turns 27 in October. His cap hits for 2023 and 2024 are now 23.9 million and 24.7 million, respectively. And you could drive those down with extension, but. 23 and 24 are his age 28 and age 29 seasons. At what point do you start to wonder if you want to extend a defensive lineman whose game basically revolves around playing way more snaps than you'd typically expect from a defensive lineman? I think that's fair to ask, especially as he gets him to his upper 20s and you start talking about contract extensions that would carry him well into his 30s. Other things to weigh. It's also another maybe strike against the build around the defense crew. Uh, I understand the the desire to do that, 
I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense when perhaps your very best defensive player is going to be 30 before the rest of the team is ready to really compete. It's going to be close. If you're trying to build around the defense, it just starts to get complicated. And um, I think it just proves, again, that building around at least at least trying to build around a quarterback is the way you, you pretty much have to go. Get your quarterback and fill in everything else around him. Building around a unit that requires a ton of moving parts to go, it just gets so easy for it to break down. Elsewhere in contract news, the Packers have signed a new kicker. Dominique Eberly comes to Green Bay, six foot two, 190 pounds, officially a first-year guy out of Utah State, though he did play in the NFL last year and has been kicking around in the league, no pun intended, since 2020. He comes to the Packers from Utah State by way of Carolina and Las Vegas, and that's it. And Houston. Houston, the other one there. Uh, he does have some Packers connections as a result of that path that he has taken. He was college teammates of Jordan Love and Tipa Nalii. He was also coached by Rich Bisaccia in Las Vegas for a time. He's also been a man, uh, mentioned as a member, excuse me, as I mentioned, of the Carolina Panthers twice, both on their practice squad and of the Houston Texans. He appeared in one game with the Houston Texans last season and made two of three field goal attempts. Interesting facts about Mr. Eberly. He was born in Nuremberg, Germany as a German father and an American mother and perhaps as you might expect, his nickname as a result of that background is Das Boot. I can get behind that. He wanted to be a pro soccer player, but his family moved to California from Germany when he was 14 years old. He started his college career as a walk-on at Utah State and paid his way for his college education by waiting tables after football practice. Gotta love the hustle there. Eventually earned himself a scholarship. Now he is kicking, at least nominally, in the NFL. Big question on Eberly's arrival in Green Bay is whether or not he's competing with J.J. Molson or Mason Crosby. I think we've made our position on J.J. Molson fairly clear. We don't get it. Uh, I don't understand the appeal there. He was not a great college kicker. He doesn't have a particularly big leg. He was not particularly accurate. What's the What's the upside there? Don't know. Mason Crosby gets kind of complicated too. It may not actually be that complicated. He's aging. He's been more inconsistent these past couple seasons, and he doesn't seem to have the leg to get it there on kickoffs anymore. Now, Brian Gutekunst had some nice things to say about Mason Crosby this week, and to that I say, talk is cheap. It's nice to say, okay, we love Mason. We want him to be around in February. You start having to make decisions in July and August to say nothing of the cap-related considerations of removing Mason Crosby from your football team. Well, then you see how badly you really want to have him around, especially now that the Packers have three kickers on the roster. Before we get over to the defense and talk about inside linebackers, I wanted to pause for a second and mention something fun and new to you. I've been in the process of moving the Power Sweeps merchandise from Teespring over to TeePublic. Behind the scenes, the reason is that there is more flexibility, it seems, at TeePublic. You can offer more products. You do a lot of different things, a lot of fun things with their designs. There are some limitations, sure, but we can offer a bunch of different stuff more easily. And as a result, there's a bunch of cool stuff in our new Tee Public store for you to check out. Personally, I'm a big fan of the, the Power Sweeps branded stickers and magnets. I've got a couple coming my way here pretty soon, and I'll post some pictures uh, at a couple different spots once they arrive. Maybe you'll like them too. They're pretty affordable. We haven't been able to offer stuff like that before. 
give them a look. It's just another way to support the Power Sweep in Blue 58. There is also a Blue 58 logo sticker if that's something you're interested in. Check it out at the link in your show notes. Maybe you find something you like. Inside linebacker. Interesting position for the Packers. You could go a lot of different ways with your evaluation of this group. Speaking of evaluations, I wanted to take a second to mention something about why I do things the way that I do. I don't do letter grades for players. Reading Bob McGinn's annual grades of the Packers, I was reading Bill Huber's grades of the Packers, I was reading, I think Ryan Wood does it now for PackersNews.com. Everybody does letter grades. I don't. And it struck me that I should mention why I don't do that. I think grading players like that implies that there's some standard by which you can compare one guy to another that actually makes sense. And to a certain point, I kind of see where people who want to grade A through F are coming from. It's not some, you know, platonic philosophical thing where you say there's this ideal position that guys are trying to measure up to. There's this ideal standard at wide receiver, for instance, that you could compare Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling to and see some sort of difference between them. I don't think that's exactly what people are saying, but you can say, look, you should be doing these kinds of things if you're a wide receiver in the NFL. I, I do agree with that. But on the other hand, expectations are different player to player. Sticking with wide receivers, just look at Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. If you want to grade them the same way, that's fine. You can do that. But I think it does a disservice to both players because look at what they're asked to do. And furthermore, look at their physical capabilities. Can Alan Lazard do some of the things that Devontae Adams does? Sure, absolutely. Can he do all of the things? No. And for that matter, Devontae Adams can't do all of the things that Alan Lazard does. But they have different jobs. Are you going to knock Devontae Adams for not being as good of a run blocker as Alan Lazard? No, of course not. That would be silly. But you're also not going to knock Alan Lazard for not being as precise a route runner as Devontae Adams. For one thing, that's just not something everybody can do. For another, that's not what the Packers want him to be doing. So trying to give both of them grades on a scale that looks the same for both of them, I think does a disservice to both guys. And you got to kind of talk about expectations to begin with. I haven't done a super good job of it this year, but we we do try to set expectations for guys each and every year. And I should do a better go- job of calling back to what we said about those guys last summer as we previewed their seasons. But that's kind of the approach that I want to take when we're, we're grading guys. Grading, I use that in air quotes, when I'm talking about guys. I don't want to say this guy was an A, this guy was a B. And try to justify that between players doing very different things. Even guys who have very similar roles. Think of something like Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. They play much more similar positions than Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. Or Devontae Adams and, say, Amari Rogers. But they're used so differently. They're used much differently. And I think that's why you really just have to compare guys to themselves. For what the Packers asked this guy to do, did he deliver? And I think that's where you can really adjust expectations for a guy year to year in a helpful way and see where he measures up. So that's kind of my philosophy on how we we discuss these players year to year. Okay, inside linebackers. 
from fewest snaps to most, as we always do. Isaiah McDuffie leads us off here because he played exactly zero snaps on defense this year, but got in on 192 special team snaps. He recorded zero solo special teams tackles, but came up with two assists. The good for McDuffie is pretty simple. He made the roster and appeared in 13 games as a late day three draft pick to win across the board. Without qualification, that's that's a pretty darn good season for a guy like Isaiah McDuffie. The bad kind of relates to that grading issue. There's really nothing there. If you wanted more from Isaiah McDuffie, it's probably a you problem, more than what Isaiah McDuffie was going to be this season. Bottom line for him then is basically where we were last summer. He's an athletic prospect, a lot of straight line speed. He did what was asked for him. Mildly surprised to see no snaps on defense, but honestly, that's not that big of a surprise either. So overall, feel pretty good about his 2021. Looking ahead to 22, I would say we'd probably be about where we were with McDuffie that we were with Ty Summers after year one, too. Athletic prospect, not counting for much on defense. Anything you get there is really going to be a bonus. Jalen Smith is next up, 27 snaps for the former member of the Dallas Cowboys on defense for the Packers this year, did not appear on special teams. He appeared in two games for the Packers, recorded just one tackle. The good, look, they tried. Former first-round pick, former pro bowler, found himself on the outs in Dallas, and the Packers gave it a shot. But it turned out just about everything about his time in Green Bay was bad. I mean, he said all the right things, he did all the right things, he wasn't a bad guy to have around, but he looked pretty used up on the field. He did end up in New York after the Packers cut him loose. He ended up getting 12 tackles and a sack in four games with the Giants after he was with the Packers. I suspect that was mostly because they had nobody else to play and nothing left to play for by the end of the season. He played basically starters reps in three of those four games. Seemed relatively inconsequential, but he did pile up some stats. Bottom line for him is he actually reminds me of Muhammad Wilkerson. Back in 2019, the Packers, or 2018, I think, uh, the Packers signed him and well, they tried, tried to see how that would go and didn't really go anywhere. He got hurt and that was that. But even before the injury, it wasn't doing much of anything. That's kind of where things were with Jalen Smith. Look, we're going to try something. If it works out great, if it doesn't, we'll move on. As to his 2022, I don't know what things hold for him, but he's not going to be in Green Bay, so we can move on. Moving further down our list, Ty Summers checks in with 29 snaps on defense in 2021, 270 snaps on special teams. That's good for about 63% of the total special teams snaps. Ended with four tackles on defense and four tackles on special teams. Good news for Ty Summers is he basically is what he is. And the Packers have stopped asking him to try to be much more than that, as evidenced by the just the 29 snaps on defense throughout the course of the season. The bad news is that he is what he is there too. It is abundantly clear to me, at least, that his future is not on defense. The Packers have tried a couple times to make it work. He becomes a liability basically as soon as he comes on the field. I think mostly because of some physical limitations. He's a bit short. You talk about short arms and frame stuff most of the time that's going to get me to roll my eyes, but with him it just shows up so obvious. He's he's too stumpy to really get it done. Uh, it just gets swallowed up by bigger guards can't get off those blocks because they're just bigger than him. And that makes it a little bit of a challenge for him to be out there on the field for you on defense. Bottom line, though, is he's good for what he is. 
And what he is is pretty limited, but reliable on special teams. And you can get by with guys like that on your roster. So heading into 2022, he's going to be a core special teams guy for the Packers again, unless they find somebody else. And I can promise you they're going to try. Oren Burks is kind of in the same boat as we continue to move down our list of inside linebackers. He played 205 snaps on defense for the Packers, about 19%. little less than one in five defensive snaps had Oren Burks on the field in 2021. He also logged 337 snaps on special teams, just under 78%. And that is really his game at this point in his career. He's a special teamer through and through. Ended up with 26 tackles on defense, another 10 on special teams. Hey, Making some plays out there. First ball hawk of his career, or at least partial one, with half a sack. Played all 17 games. With that stat line in mind, I think you can say that the good for Burks is that he basically had a career year. Played all the games, played a bunch of special teams, had some tackles there, had some tackles on defense. Seemed to have found a little role for him. The bad news, though, is that this was the best season of his career feels like this was the first time Oren Burks really kind of played without expectations, and I think that helped him a lot. Nobody at this point anymore is really expecting him to jump in and be a big contributor on defense, but that because that's clearly not a good fit for him. But he does perform a little bit in a small role, and a small role is fine at a certain point. Yeah, you're not really looking for that from a third-round pick, but somebody's got to play on special teams. And right now, that's Oren Burks. Burks, I think, is a good example of why letter grades really wouldn't matter in evaluating these guys. An honest grade for him on defense might be like a D, D minus. But if you're putting him out there on defense, that's on you. You know what Oren Burks is at this point in his career. If you're putting a D, D minus player on the field and getting mad at him for playing like a D or D minus player, whose fault is that? It's not Oren Burke's fault that he is the player that he is at this point in his career. That's, that's your problem. If you're putting him out there, it's because you built your roster badly or you've made poor decisions on how to put people out on the field. As to 2022, like I said, somebody's got to play special teams. Might as well be him. I would suspect he makes the roster again, and that may be it for him in Green Bay. They'll try again in the draft and, and find another Oren Burks to, to fill out some special teams reps. Maybe they've already got that player in Isaiah McDuffie or Ty Summers. Maybe not. But for 2022, it could be Oren Burks again, and I think there's a pretty good bet it is going to be him. Moving up to the big two at inside linebacker, first brings us to Chris Barnes, who logged 527 snaps on defense in 2021. Just under 49%, nearly got to half. Also played 116 snaps on special teams, Piled up 81 tackles overall, a sack, and four passes defensed in 2021. Good news for Barnes. Pretty much the same old, same old from him. That was more or less the performance we got from him in 2020. Solid, fairly reliable tackler. I think you could say he's the the spiritual successor of what we've characterized as the Packers quote unquote thumper linebacker over the past couple of years, uh, dating back to like 2018. That was Antonio Morrison. Then BJ Goodson took on that role for a while. Now you've got Chris Barnes helming that particular ship. It's not a guy you're going to rely on for coverage. He's going to fill hard in the run game and hit hard when he gets there. That'll work. You can get by with a guy like that on your defense. The bad is not really bad per se, but I think at times you saw the limits show up for Chris Barnes in 2021. 
stuff like his size and speed is is a bit of a problem. And the role, I think, as a result is going to always be pretty limited for Chris Barnes because he's not a plus athlete. It's also, I think, true that the window of expectations at linebacker has now moved around him a little bit. In 2020, he just had to look good relative to Kamal Martin and Christian Kirksey, which honestly was not that big of a challenge. In 2021, comparing him to all-pro Devondre Campbell, suddenly Barnes looks like an afterthought, a non-factor. It reminds me a little bit of the Packers in 2012 when they ended up relying on Dewan Harris at running back down the stretch that season. Nice little player. Did some good stuff for the Packers in 2012. But when Eddie Lacy shows up in 2013, you really don't think that much about Dewan Harris anymore. There really wasn't any point in, in the 2013 season or 2014 when Lacy was even better where I was sitting there thinking, man, I really wonder what they would look like on offense with Dewan Harris out there. No, because Lacy was better. He was a solid, you know, bring-your-own-blocker type player. Didn't need a whole lot of help. He he was just better. And that's kind of where Chris Barnes falls relative to a, a better player in Devondre Campbell. Like he's not bad. The Packers just found somebody better. And the expectations of what he should be changed as a result. Bottom line is he's pretty good at a few things. He's going to be limited, but if those limitations are a problem, much like with Oren Burks, that's kind of on you. That's why for 2022, as it pertains to Chris Barnes, I expect more of the same, for better or for worse. He's going to be solid when he's out there. The limits are going to show up, but he's going to do his best, and he's going to going to bring it every single rep. You can do a lot worse than that. Finally, Devondre Campbell. 988 snaps on defense for Campbell, 91.57%, and found some time in his spare time to log eight snaps on special teams. Not a lot, but what are you asking for him from from him on special teams, not a lot. 146 tackles for Mr. Campbell, two interceptions, two forced fumbles, two sacks. Oddly, his stat line is virtually identical to his 2019 season with Atlanta, like uncannily similar. There's really no limit to the good things I think you can say about Devondre Campbell. He put together in 2021 the best season we've seen from a Packers linebacker since I don't even know when. It's been a while. I think it's fair to wonder if his performance in 2021 was a flash-in-the-pan sort of thing. It's fair to wonder if he could duplicate it again. Though I'd be pretty confident, because his game doesn't seem to be built on overwhelming athleticism, though he is a pretty good athlete. But he's more about showing up and being assignment sure. More about not screwing it up. And you can make a whole career about not screwing it up for your team. And Campbell's been very reliable everywhere he's been. You can see why teams previously have tried to upgrade over him, I think, sometimes. But with some good talent around him, having a guy that just shows up and does his job at a high level every single play, sure, he may not be making splash plays game in and game out all the time, but he's getting it done for you too. Bottom line, he was a home run as a free agent signing. They got exactly what they could have wanted from him and more. As to 2022, things are uncertain for Campbell. You've got the stuff going on with the Packers uncertain to be with the salary cap to begin with. That's a big problem. But also, what do you pay Devondre Campbell? The price tag, of course, uncertain with all free agents. 
but he's going to be turning 29 in July. This was his third team in three years. There are some limitations, though they are smaller than with other Packers linebackers. If you're skeptical about re-signing him, if you want to play devil's advocate there, I am willing to listen. I don't think it's just like a, oh my gosh, we absolutely have to sign Devondre Campbell sort of question. I would be all about bringing him back if the Packers could. But what's the price tag? I've seen a wide range of estimates there. And for what it's worth, he should go get whatever he can. This is probably his last shot at a real real big cash-in in free agency. Maybe his only shot, given what he's had the chance to earn before. He signed with the Packers on a one-year deal. It wasn't a rich one. We've been over that again and again and again in Packers media. What a bargain the Packers got in Devondre Campbell. I'm sure he loves hearing that. Hey, man, you're really cheap. It's awesome that you're playing good because it doesn't cost us anything. That make me feel great. I hope he gets a lot of money. But, of course, that complicates things for the Packers. I'm sure they would love to have him back. I would love to have him back. He's a fun player to watch. But it's going to be expensive. And maybe expensive leads him to financially greener pastures in 2022. Would certainly not begrudge him begrudge him that. There is the question as to whether or not this changes how the Packers value inside linebacker. Brian Gutekunst says it doesn't because they've already always valued inside linebacker. I think that's a dubious claim. They certainly haven't really valued it in the past decade all that much. But he, I think, showed the value of a really good inside linebacker. And if that changes the Packers' approach there at the spot, I certainly would not be surprised. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I do appreciate you listening in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share it with somebody you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and me are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.